The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven. We are your hosts. Ashley Wright Eiler. I'm Joel Sharpton, and this is The Articulate Coven. Uh, Ashley, oh my goodness, uh, we've got a lot to talk about this episode, but I actually have like now we're in the thick of things i know now we're in the thick of things because i have some feedback i have i have some information that has come to light that needs to come to air early in the episode so the first thing is a small thing i have um i have i have dove into the world of of youtube feedback on this wonderful series that we love most of it they're they're not as profusely uh, uh uh excited about it as i am so they end up making me mad but (laughs) one in particular I did want to link for our audience and it's something that I hadn't thought about because I'm just I've read her her work for so long it almost doesn't doesn't stick out to me but in episode two the word preternatural was used to describe Lestat's charisma and this youtuber in particular who I'm going to link in the comments here and Ashley I'll send you the link shortly as well um, okay she, in her review of that episode, calls it out, says this must be sort of a, a reference to the on the part of the writers to the joke in the fandom. Um, there's apparently even charts online about how many times in each book Anne uses the word <laughs> preternatural. Um, you can make so a drinking the, game out of it. Exactly. No, absolutely. Once, once you think about it, oh, man, she does every time she's describing their powers, she calls it preternatural, doesn't she? Oh, 100%. And, I keyed in on that immediately. <laughs> so so what's funny, though, is the YouTuber explains it. And I, I don't know why I'd never I don't know why I'd never questioned the word, honestly, like it's a word in context. It's very clear what it means. And yet I'd never I don't think I'd ever looked up the dictionary definition of it. I don't think I'd ever thought about why she uses that word instead of some other word. And this YouTuber explains it. I'm going to give you the TLDR, but I'm also going to link it with the timestamp because I strongly suggest you go in and listening to the full thing. But basically, preternatural is just the secular version of supernatural supernatural implies that the power uh, whatever you're describing that is above and beyond the natural or expected world uh, the natural levels of power or strength or whatever that supernaturalness comes from a deity either good or evil the supernatural doesn't say but it comes from outside whereas Anne's vampires are not of god or the devil they are a very natural occurrence, you know, that we, I don't want to spoil for, for folks who are watching this and reading this all at the first time. That does come up eventually in the books, and I think we're going to get that explanation on, on the TV series as well, which will be fun to see it played out in, on screen for the first time, really. Um, but anyway, that's the reason she uses the word. It's a secular version of supernatural. And if you think about it, if she had used the word supernatural all those times, I don't think we would have questioned it. I don't think it would be a running joke because... I mean, how how else are you going to describe the the way that they leap into the air, or the way that they cross the floor almost instantaneously, or the way that they, you know, their eyes glisten, et cetera, et cetera? Anyway, very interesting. She's got a great explainer. I do. I'm, I am going to continue to watch her reviews of this uh, this thing, even though she and I she she picks a few more nits than I would care to. Um, <laughs> but overall, she does have great discussion. Particularly, she's got a very keen eye for the differences between the book and the TV series. Um, so, link in the show notes in case you've ever wondered about that word in particular. Go go check that out. 
That's the first thing. The second thing, a follow-up, Ashley, you and I discussed in a previous episode, and I think this was when we were discussing the behind-the-scenes special. Okay. We both expressed an interest, a desire to have, why hasn't Chris Rice, why hasn't Christopher Rice said anything about the series? Boy, it makes me trepidatious about everything and makes me feel a little soured here as we're celebrating this thing finally coming. Well, Apparently he may have, at least in encoded message. First and foremost, if anyone tweets at him uh, or posts on Facebook about it and tags him in it, he has a very standard response. Right, no absolutely. The series, please, uh, I refer you to AMC TV. Um, absolutely. I haven't listened to all of his podcast episodes. I haven't gone back and trailed this down, but I saw a thread about this very question on Twitter. And through a little bit of sleuthing, I backed up a couple of things that were said. The general sense is this. And, and my own recollection back this up too, correct me if I'm wrong. Anne was very loud, and Christopher, very loud about the development of the series when it, before it was at Hulu, then once it arrived at Hulu, and all through that period of time when it was in, in production at Hulu, they both talked about it quite a lot. Do you remember right. that? Yeah, that seems, that seems on point, that they were kind okay. of, it felt like they were much more involved. And then they announced the AMC acquisition, and I think they even said more to come soon, you know, let us go behind closed doors and dot our I's and cross our T's kind of thing. Right. But then after that, they never said anything again. The sense that I got from people working in the industry is that everybody's tried to be very nice and say the right things because nobody wants to offend or burn any bridges that are unnecessary. But it seems like Anne and Christopher both were very, very insistent on Christopher being a big part of the writing room, maybe even the central oh. or primary part. And that the general feeling at AMC was that that was not a good plan. And oh, that eventually came to a head. And that involved the the two Rices effectively walking away from the project in person, although their, their names are still on it as executive producers. And I'm sure there's a huge chunk of change that goes regularly to the rice estate which well is one would hope so christopher's right yes and i'm I, i'm imagining i get the sense and the sense that i got online is perhaps that uh that those payments are tied to a closed mouth either directly <laughs> little... legally required <laughs> right or 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 just hey i know the check's still cash and i may be you know heard about it but i'll keep my mouth closed as long as this thing is you know, a success. So e either way, here's, I said this before without knowing, now I feel like I've got a better glimpse of what's gone on there. And I still feel as I felt then. Chris gets to feel any way that he wants to about this series, and that is absolutely fair. I also feel in my heart, and I go, I think back to, you know, Anne was famously super upset about the casting of Brad Pitt and Tom oh, Cruise. Oh, yeah. And like disavowed the production entirely, told her fans that that everyone in Hollywood would sell their own mothers, you know, for for a, a, a penny, whatever. They were all heartless. It was terrible. It was going to be ruined. And <laughs> even though she had been involved in the production up to that point, she had been pretty heavily involved. I think she, I mean her name's on the screenplay still. If you watch the movie, yeah, so anyway. Yeah. And then what happened? That production got finished or almost finished. They sent her a screener. She ate all of her words, took out an eight-page ad in the newspaper and praised the film and apologized to everyone involved, especially Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, and told her fans, please, please, please 
listen to me now, forget what I said before. This is a you know a loving portrayal of my characters, et cetera, et cetera. I think the same thing would be going on now. I think if when she saw the care that was provided to these characters, the clear love that these actors have, especially, and that the creators have, and that the the meticulous you know production uh, levels that are being brought to this, I can't help but think that she would be pleased by it. And so oh. Chris gets to feel how he wants to feel. Hell, I'd be mad if I lost my shot maybe at a big yeah. job in Hollywood. I mean, if this was a success and he was one of the writers, he would have a long career in Hollywood probably ahead Absolutely. But here's the thing, too, about, like, I mean, I know enough about the television industry to know that a writer's room is a very finicky place. You know what I mean? And it really does require the right assortment of people. And you really have to trust you know, the showrunners to be, to make those decisions. And um, I just, I hope that, yeah, I 100% agree. Chris gets to feel how he wants to feel. Christopher can feel how he wants to feel. I hope that, I hope that he ends up being pleased by this. And I hope that, um, I hope that, you know, this, regardless of, of this, you know, his career is on the trajectory he wants. He's, he just released a new book recently. You know, I mean, I think that getting to tell his own stories, maybe long-term, might be more important to him. I I hope so as well. And again, I think uh, I, I don't know the dollar figures, but you can't you can't help no. but imagine there's going to be some recurring revenue from this oh, uh, some from this money 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 rice universe. Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, I'm I'm not really an erotica reader generally, but I did download his last uh, his last audiobook went on super sale on Audible for like, I don't know, it was like five dollars or something. And I was like, I like Chris. Let me go let me go download his book and listen to it. And I don't I don't know who the audio the um the narrator is. I haven't I haven't dove into it yet. But I'm hopeful uh, it, it'll at least have some steamy scenes in it. God knows yeah. I'm, I'm rereading I'm rereading the uh, the witching hour right now. I'm almost done. I'm like four hours remaining. And his mother, <laughs> oh goodness, that woman wrote some smutty stuff, man. Oh, <laughs> I, for real, I, and I love it, love it, love it. It's so great. I want to. What did I? He had a really funny tweet about that um, uh, a few years ago that she responded to. That was just like, you know, how many of your of your boyfriends? Of you know, I I don't remember the whole ins and outs of it, but it was so freaking funny. And she responded to it. it was just it was such a brilliant exchange between the two of them. But like, yeah, she writes some. She wrote some real filth, and it's awesome. I love it. Well, it's 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 it is it is fantastic. It, some of it is not my particular cup of tea. As I told someone the other day, though, about this series, this the TV series, I don't like to yuck people's yum, and clearly Anne's um, Anne's expression was was vast. Let's put it that way. I, I'm imagining yes. Christopher <laughs> is capable of that same thing too. All right, let, enough of that preamble, uh, Ashley. Let's get into the episode because this was a good one. Non-spoiler first. What did you think? Again, I felt like I had a great time. Love it, love it. I do feel like this was kind of one of those, like this is a, a an episode to get us, it's a transition episode, it's to get us to the next section of the story. Um, so it set up a lot of uh, a conflict that we that we need to see. It kind of, it kind of pushed those things along. We kind of, uh, I, a lot of things shook out exactly the way that I thought they were going to, as far as um, what happens with the club and Storyville and all that. Um, that was kind of how I thought that they were going to head um, with the time change and everything. And, and yeah, I had, I had a good time. Um, it wasn't as like thrilling and exciting as um, the last couple of episodes were, but um, 
but yeah, it was still really rich and it really moved the story along. We got some really great funny moments. We got some really great poignant moments. Um, we got some really great sexy moments. <laughs> so yeah, two thumbs up over here. How about you? I'm with you almost a hundred percent. Absolutely. So there was, um, there was speculation based on one of the season trailers. There's like one shot in one of those season trailers where Louie appears to be injured very badly. And there was a tremendous amount of speculation I'd seen online amongst the fandom that this episode's plot line was going to go thusly. They were going to sort of explore an open relationship for one reason or another. And that Lestat was going to be jealous and beat the ever-living hell out of Louis. <gasps> oh. And I was... I, I thought it was possible that they were going to go there. I mean, this is a, I think this story is, is at least the beginning of their relationship is toxic. I, there's no doubt well, about yeah. that. They're both, they're both very broken people and they misuse one another. But I was worried that that, first of all, that plot line is not directly in the book. I mean, nothing like that really happens in the books. And the idea of, of Lestat being directly physically violent to Louis uh, abusive to Louis, using his physical power, um, you know, literally to do violence against him. That bothered me. I mean, it, Lestat's done a lot of things. I mean, he's burnt down Louis's house a couple of times in the books, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. He's a total asshole. He's your, he's your crazy ex-boyfriend, you know? But, he, but I don't, but I don't think he, I don't, I agree. The Lestat in my he's... head anyway. The Lestat in my head anyway would not do that. And so I was worried that's where this episode was going. This episode does not go there. And, and no. So if you have been like hesitant to watch this episode because you had heard that speculation as well, uh, you know, no worry about that particular resolution. So go and watch it. We both enjoyed yeah, the episode. Would, There's lots of good stuff That would be weirdly, here. weirdly out of character. You know, I mean, he's more of a, you know, an emotional abuser. That's more our guy's style, you know, and, and he will torture shit, but I don't think he'd beat you up. Yeah, no, no. He will absolutely burn something down, but yeah, he'll I wait mean, until you're not there in it. Oh, goodness. Yeah, he's going to right. gonna Lisa left eye Lopez your, uh, your mansion, but <laughs> other than that, it's going to be fine. So this episode was directed by Keith Powell. Uh, Keith also directs episode four, the one coming next week. So there was some continuity oh, there. And that's then great. Hannah, I like I liked Han that. That's good I, to know. I do too. So Game of Thrones has done that. I know Breaking Bad has done that in the past. I think Better Call Saul did the same sort of thing. And it, um, I think particularly in this current version of long-form storytelling narrative that we're, we're getting with these sort of TV series, I think it makes sense. You know, it's like they're making a mini-movie. Why not, you know, allow them to shoot it that way? I think it, I think it totally works. Um, and this one was written by Hannah Moscovich. Uh, Hannah also will write episode five uh, two weeks away. So um, they've they've got some uh, continuing. I mean, again, it, it's as you mentioned earlier, um, Ashley, it's a writer's room. So I think a lot of those writers are contributing to all of these. But it, it's about the amount of the script. I think that that somebody's actual pen or, or, oh, or yeah. uh, keyboard is on. I think that there's a union uh matters that determines who gets the the head credit anyway let's dive into it um so again like i said the speculation of this episode had me really really concerned but that turned out like largely not to be true i love this episode honestly the humor the, there was yeah lots there was of a lot of funny 
the drama, the continued micro hints, by the way, at the modern day circumstances of Louis, I think in this episode were great. There's like little bitty ones we'll talk about later. I love what this show is building, both in the present day story and in the past story. It just makes me super confident. Honestly, it makes me more confident in the forthcoming Mayfair adaptation as well. Like Absolutely. I, this team, this team has me on board. I'm down for the changes that they feel like needed to be made. Yeah, I don't love. Uh, I'll tell you the one thing I'm kind of about with the Mayfair thing is is the I don't like combining combining characters. That really annoys the piss out of me. I just hate it. It's so poorly done usually. I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you. But there are. First and foremost, like in uh, the interview with the vampire here, I think you wanted a person of color in that main cast. And I think the the quote unquote Michael character, the the love interest for Rowan is the that is the character to do it. I also think the things that make both Aaron and Michael integral to the overall story can fairly easily be combined into one character. There's no reason why this character couldn't come from the wrong side of New Orleans originally, right? There's no reason this character couldn't have the, now here's some spoilers for that book, but there's no reason that that character couldn't have the Mayfair background as well, you know, distantly, yeah, et cetera, absolutely. et cetera. Um, but those two characters spend so much of the first book particularly just sitting down telling each other what they both know <laughs> that i mean like honestly there's so much of like well you know this is michael and let me tell you aaron what i know about everything and then well this is aaron and let me explain to you michael what i know about things and there's like a whole lot of that i just feel like aaron's such a and maybe it's because aaron we see aaron in the vampire chronicles yes. as well you know i just feel like he's a fully developed character it's kind of hard for me to see him being kind of i don't know i'll be interested to see how they do it yes I'm not, but but i, I was my also, one skepticism that i was super skeptical about that too and and i was fine with like you you know changing a character like they did with louis moving a timeline yeah. which, but by the way they've done that clearly in the mayfair series as well because Cortland is not alive in the modern day storyline and yet Cortland, the harry hamlin's character plays a big role there so like they've right. compacted i think some of the generations or moved moved some things around anyway um, my point is these this this creative team continues to win me over and so oh, as yeah. skeptical as i am of those sorts of things i'm like i bet they've got a good reason i bet they're gonna they're gonna take us to a good place oh yeah i think anytime like i said a couple of episodes ago anytime i have had like any moment of like oh i don't know eh, they've been like they've come back either within the next 15 20 minutes to soothe me about it and explain why they did it or in the next episode so i um i definitely feel like we're in good hands i obviously still trust our team completely um yeah this episode was was a lot of uh a lot of emotion and a lot of fun um and then a lot of uh a lot of uh passion and uh and and uh and, and then disagreement <laughs> It's good times. Good times had by all. I love I love the opening scene uh, there on the bench and they're, you know, Lestat is explaining oh, the history so of the square. Just their physical relationship plays so brilliantly. Like they're clearly as actors very comfortable with each other physically when they sit near one another, when they sit in proximity and they are when they're, you know, they just look like they belong together. You know, they look like a pair. And it's so it's so wonderful to see um 
to see that being portrayed so well and so cleanly. I'm a million percent on board with that. I'd like in agreement with that. And here's what's crazy too. When you think about it, these guys were cast on a zoom call, like yeah. their, their chemistry during COVID. were over zoom during COVID. Exactly. It's crazy. It's, it's they got so lucky that these insane. guys are this smoldering together. Right. I mean, like you get, yes, they come off the screen together anyway. All right. So, but it seems there, I love what Louis's doing. It seems like he's basically ignoring Lestat. He literally mm-hmms him at one point. And then he comes in with this cutting remark directly relevant to what Lestat's saying. Oh, yeah. have you read the part about how they cut off slaves heads, runaway slaves heads and put them on the pikes as a warning? And Lestat's like, mm, I haven't gotten there yet. Let me see. <laughs> Let me see if that's in this article. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. He's always, I like that. That's something that they're not willing to let us forget. That Louis won't let us forget the difference between he and Lestat, regardless of the fact, like you, like we've discussed before, regardless of the fact that he is this elevated version of a human and that he is a vampire, he is still a black man fucking dealing with asshole white people in New Orleans, you know? Oh my God, there's there's so much of that in this episode, especially that Ugh. comes to a boil in a way that you know. Well, and and it's and it's interesting. You you referenced it earlier, the passage of time and how that's going to change things, and it it really calls out the fact that there was this strange period of time in Louisiana where because of and I, I wonder if the show is going to play more with this eventually they've they've basically done it with one passing line so far you know Louis's family got the power that they had basically because they their family also bought into the white supremacist system they were a different kind of colored than the right. other guys who they maintained as slaves I mean his his grandfather or whatever owned a plantation who and own slaves to run that plantation, you know? And so that continued, like he reaches out here in this episode to try to do something for his people, quote unquote. And Lestat calls him out on those aren't, yeah, first of all, those aren't those your aren't people your anymore. People? <laughs> but, they, but, they, also, like, but also you're, he's misguided in his direction. It kind of, it reminds me in some ways, this episode and Louis sort of arc in it of like Batman, Batman's like, I have to save Gotham and any smart character, Harley Quinn does it in the animated series recently. Like, Hey, have you thought about low cost housing? Maybe, yeah, you know, have you thought right? about mental health programs in the city? You're a billionaire, Wayne. There's a lot of things that you could do actually to fix this city other than going out and punching poor people in the face. Um, yeah, and, and that's sort of like, like a douche. You're right. And that's sort of Louis, Louis like, oh, well, I'll fix this city. How's he going to do it with violence? Like, that's not that's not how he could save New Orleans. That's not he doesn't do anything for his people in this episode. Anyway, I love that we get there. One quick change I wanted to take your temperature on, though. Louis here in this first discussion sort of brings up the idea and pitches it to Lestat of killing only the evildoer. Now, he doesn't yeah. use that terminology because that's a very Lestat phrase. But he basically says, like, what? You know, maybe we should be more selective in who we eat. And then he goes about showing that idea to Lestat and then doesn't follow through with it either. But what do you think about that? That's obviously a change from the book. Lestat in the book is already doing that at this point and even pitches that idea to Louis, I, I believe, in an interview. Um, it's literally the first thing I have written down in my note, and I literally have it written trying to hunt the evildoer. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, I do think it's it shows us how... Uh, how our guy Louis just really struggles with, with the reality of being a vampire and, and the morality of it and all of that. And anytime, even when he's like, they're, they're going off hunting, they pick this guy, they're going to eat him. Booyah. Uh, 
Lestat breaks his neck and it's <laughs> the most comically horrifying thing to see and and Louis still turns around and eats a cat he, Louis, wait, wait, wait. Pet. Lestat says I wrote this down I love it so much here's your criminal biscuit see how it here's tastes your criminal biscuit yes that's so hilarious so it's so funny I do think that like obviously Lestat is like making fun of it but I think that that also could be one of those things we're seeing the story through Louis' eyes and also that could be a really great way of like him him messing with Louis and just kind of, you know, giving him a hard time about his rat eating habits. Him just like him just getting that freaking like a uh, cage of rats and just <laughs> housing like a six pack of rats. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There are better things to eat, my guy. I cannot wait until one of the more modern, you know, scientifically minded vampires begins to explain to him, hey, you know, animals are all conscious too, right? Like, all I, I mean, could think when he ate that cat was that was probably somebody's cat, man. That was yeah, right. Pet. Like, that's not like even that, a, that's not even a stray, probably. Yeah. Like, you dick. <laughs> Just turn around and eat a porch cat. Um. So, uh, I you mentioned it there too. I wonder, and there are a couple of things in this episode, especially that make me think, um, we're going to see down the road whenever Lestat takes over narration, whether that be in a future season or a flashback episode, or I I honestly still think we're going to get a a full Lestat spinoff. This Sam Reed is too fucking good not to get his oh own God. show and he quickly. A, He's so yeah. He comes off the screen so much he's distracting to me like i am a fairly straight man ashley and that man <laughs> is distracting it's hard yeah. for me sometime to listen to him because i just want to watch his lips move anyway all right there was this i've one expressed point, my fangirlness yeah no i'm with you there was this one point that he in a scene um with louis where he's so he's so passion filled and his eyes i and it might just be me being being just caught up in it but it literally looked like his eyes were brimming with like blood tears and i was oh, just oh. like holy shit you're killing me we're, right now my man we're skipping ahead slightly but wait i wrote that one down too he says he says god what's the line he says uh I heard your hearts dancing. That was the moment. Oh, yes, yes. And his freaking eyes were just like filled with blood tears. Oh, I love that it, attention to detail. You know, like that's just, oh, that's just, it just shows that they're telling the right story. They're just telling well, the right what's story. Well, and what's funny there, what's funny there too is that uh, Sam had expressed during the production, he had expressed, uh, doubt that the contacts were going to work because he's like it's going to cut down on so much of our expression and there is a perfect example of how whether they're adding like you say whether that's blood tears and makeup or whether that's cgi even or whatever whatever they're doing it you felt everything from him in that moment so absolutely beautiful it even felt like his eyes changed color like they got yes. more intense during that scene. It was like, I don't know if they, if that's something that, like you said, they tweaked with CGI or if they changed out his contacts throughout that scene, but it just, they just, it was like this eyes just turned on, you know, and, and that's something that Anne spends so much time describing, you know, our, our, our beautiful vampire's eyes. And it's so awesome to see that on the screen 
the right way. So there's a moment later in the episode where Daniel asks Louis, was it raining or not? Uh, oh, Louis, Louis sees mud on Lestat's boots and he's sort of recollecting. And you see the exact same scene played both with the rain and without the rain. I think I whenever that. we get that, whenever we get Lestat telling his story again, whether that's yes. in a spinoff or whatever, I think we're going to see some of the scenes of this season specifically replayed ever so slightly differently. So for instance, this moment where where Louis is pitching the idea of eating the evildoer to Lestat, I think Lestat's gonna be like, no bitch, that was my idea 150 years before you ever existed. I've been, <laughs> been eating doing the evildoer. It. Yeah, yeah, I think that, I, and I hope that's how it is because that immediately like struck me and I was like, this is such great storytelling. This is so fun. Yes, been doing it, exactly. Yes, no, it's absolutely, this is, this is hella fun and I love, I, I think that's exactly what the what the uh, what the creators are going towards here. I think they're telling us Louis is an unreliable narrator. Even here in the yeah. future, when he's saying, you know, oh, I understand Lestat better. I understand myself better. Circumstances have changed, et cetera, et cetera. I think clearly in this episode, he's still not a hundred percent on things all the time. And, well, and and, and Daniel it's points this out odyssey of recollection. Yes, that's. I was just about to bring that up. Daniel points out. Um, their dynamic is abusive, you know, in, in some ways, this is a very abusive relationship. And, and especially in the story that he was told originally, in the story he was told 50 years ago, this was, Lestat came across as a very abusive person, vampire, partner, whatever. Um, and so he brings that up. And then, and then we start comparing the two interviews to each other, which I thought was so interesting. And even the way Louis speaks in those first recordings are so flat and lifeless and dull compared to the way Louis is telling this version of the story. I agree there. It's interesting when they had played clips from the interviews before in the previous episodes, I, I hadn't really noticed a difference in Louis's voice. I just thought the little bit of difference I was hearing there was the clarity of the tape, but it's clear when they were playing it in this one that his voice has also changed in a, a bunch of different ways. His accent's slightly different. His, right. um, you know, like his, his speech rhythms are different, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's clear to me. And there are again, other parts of this episode that make it even more clear. This Louis, is more at one with his vampireness. He's a much stronger vampire now than he was then, both mentally but also physically. Clearly, absolutely. And I think we're even seeing. Um, I love. I love that phrasing, the Odyssey of Recollection. You know, and how. I mean, I even see it within myself. You know, when we remember things. And as time goes by, more and more, we remember the things that were good about a situation rather than the things that were bad. And we tend to kind of, as time passes and as memory changes and as we learn and we grow and we forgive the people that maybe were involved in our past, that we we remembered things in a different way. When we give a little bit more grace to the situation, we have a different version of that memory. Mm, mm, absolutely. <laughs> you know, the other thing that occurs to me in this scene, especially because Daniel's, so they go back and forth about what you said then, what you said now, et cetera, et cetera. And then he literally throws the tapes away and, and, and Louis says, now he's being performative. And so right. pointing out, I didn't think about it at first, but then clearly Daniel catches his meaning. He then goes and drags the files themselves to the trash to the can trash, on his computer yeah. and throws that away too. Um, 
but I like that. Mo so first of all, I didn't think about this at all, but I saw someone on Twitter that said it. Oh, this is the writers and the showrunners literally slapping fans in the face. They're throwing the novel away. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, th we're throwing the first version of the interview away. It's not the novel well, that's being thrown yes, away. No, and listen, and listen, that's exactly what happens in the books too, right? Anne does this herself through the voice of Lestat in Interview with the Vampire, it's or excuse true. me, in, in the Vampire Lestat, where he goes, Everything that you read in Interview with the Vampire is trash. That Louis was Bullshit. heartbroken. Yeah, it was, he was heartbroken and mad at me and pe being petty. And I can't believe that's that my, he wrote those words. That's my you know? fat ex-girlfriend. Ignore yeah, her. I mean, literally, <laughs> he was jilted, and and Armand had been in his ear for a decade. He was he was yeah, full of exactly. shit. Um, so, I mean, I think that's what the showrunners are doing there. They're showing us that this show is taking place further along in the timeline when when Lestat has said that yes but now here is Louis even saying yeah I was full of shit for most of that uh, that was performative you know I've already we're told you that shit when you're young so full of shit when we're young and 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 as much as he hated being a fledgling vampire you're still full of shit when you're young we all are yeah. it's a universal experience and I like that vampires are too <laughs> I agree. I agree a million We have to all be stupid. We all have to be stupid. You know, so the there is a a moment, I guess, I think it ha happens right before that scene with Daniel where or maybe right after. Not honestly, I can't I can't remember. It's the the first scene where uh Lestat has clearly gone and slept with Antoinette and then afterwards uh, yeah. he Louis meets him outside, Louis thinking that he's burnt <laughs> Antoinette. Yes. I thought, oh, she burns fast, huh? <laughs> well, I don't know. You look for yourself. It's a dentist. There was a dental convention yeah. in town. I, that was all oh. very funny. But Lissat says something there um, when Louis asks him, you know, am I not enough? And Lestat just laughs his head off. But then he, once he calms down and he, re he realizes, okay, I'm actually, I'm hurting Louis here. Let me explain myself. He says, we'll be together 10,000 nights, 100,000. What we're doing is hard. And I love that because whether you're vampires or not, yeah, long-term monogamous or even poly relationships are very, very difficult. They're, you know, continuous, positive, affirming acts. And that's what it takes to be in love with each other for 100,000 nights, you know. And these two immortal chortle heads don't do it very well at first, at <laughs> no, least, you know. They don't communicate well, our guys. You know, and the thing is about the things that I understand about poly poly relationships or that you, you have to be they have to be you know a certain set of rules that everybody's following and the by everybody's you know on the same page with it and it just seems like uh Lestat starts Louis out in a poly relationship without Louis's 100% consent right away well it's so interesting to me I Kelly and I my wife and I were discussing it after we watched it today and I was like it's so funny because both of these guys they can't speak to each other. They can't read each other's thoughts anymore, right? That that got called out in the last episode. And both of these guys do these little things and think to themselves, it's nothing. It's performative. L Lestat has a raging libido, and Louis has admitted that his has waned because of his dietary habits currently. And so right. Lestat's freaking walking around horny here, and Antoinette's a beautiful little thing. Lestat is also canonically especially now in this episode they call it out he is is bi or, or pansexual he, he absolutely likes, likes a little variety as he says here and so uh like for him this is just it's functionary it's like going to the bathroom 
Right. And he thinks nothing of it. And so surely Louis wouldn't either. Meanwhile, Louis is insanely jealous because he thinks, is Antoinette providing something that I can't? Is this what Lestat really wants? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm failing him as a vampire and a fledgling. I'm failing him now in the bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. Like he's all in his head. Meanwhile, this leads completely into the introduction of Jonah's character and and the reverse of this happening with, with Lestat. Um, it's, it's the difference in Lestat's mind between a physical thing and uh, an emotional connection. And Louis is jealous of the physical thing, but doesn't really recognize that Lestat might be hurt by the emotional connection. Well, first of all, Louis doesn't really feel the emotional connection other than here's, here's what I think Lestat does sense that Louis is getting from Jonah specifically. With Jonah, Louis is not other. Right. But even with right. Lestat, even though they're both vampire in this series, Lestat and Louis will always be other, at least especially in this time period. Right. At this time in Louisiana, they cannot walk together as equals. They're looked right. at as strange. Anyone that knows the fact that they're together thinks these hidden thoughts about, oh, they're sodomites and oh, they're this and oh, they're whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. And yet walking with Jonah, no one would think anything of it. He's Right. He's comforted by the sameness and the shared experience, but it's not for Louis an actual emotional romantic connection with Jonah. As he puts it, he gave me face and I dropped him off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think, I think in some way he's minimizing that too, because I do think there is something to be said for the emotional fulfillment that you get from comfort from being comforted and finding mm. comfort in another. And I think that part of that connection was that it reminds him and takes him back to when he was not this monster that he feels he is now. Yes. No, there is absolutely, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Louis writes it off to Lestat as we had some early fumbles, but is yeah. there something about that? Like, quote unquote, first love or high school romance or whatever, especially when you're wounded, you know, you come back from college after a bad breakup or you failed a class or, you know, you didn't get the role you wanted because we were theater kids or whatever it is. Right. You go back home for a long weekend or a, or a holiday or something. You bump into them at the store and it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> well, I, I, mean. I could feel like I could feel like the queen of, of homecoming for this weekend. You know, that would not be a bad thing, actually. <laughs> I could be praised about all the ways that I've advanced in life and, you know, how I've gone beyond our fumbling experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yes, you're right. I think Louis gets that. But even there, too, I think that's about power dynamics, right? He, in so many ways, is the weakened partner in the Lestat relationship. Well, and we're told, absolutely, and in this one he has the power because he even says that they had an age difference. Mm. So he met jonah when jonah was younger than him so obviously there he has had the power in that relationship to start with uh there's two more things i want to call out with the with the jonah storyline specifically first of all i love that he says uh he's interested one of the reasons he signed up for the army was european sensibilities european sensibilities what you they care less about what you look like or who you look at I think this is one of the hints at what Louis will find so compelling about traveling to Europe. This is what he will see. He and Claudia can imagine a place where they can be more free. 
I think that's going to be the right. pull for Europe primarily. In the book, it's very, very much about the origins. He know he believes that there are old vampires there. I think some of that will still come into play, but I think this idea, the European sensibilities, I think that's going to be the bigger draw for them to go to Europe whenever that comes up down the road. Uh, second of all, boy, this show continues to surprise me with the sex. Oh, man. We don't Has see anyone what, watched what, this on AMC? Has any a, like how edited we need is to know this that. on cable? I'm, I need to know. I need someone to report. I'm gonna have to have a very uncomfortable conversation with my aunt. She's watching it on cable. I know. I don't know. We'll talk about that. So, <laughs> what, what did they? What did you hear exactly? So, so we don't see what Jonah does to Louis in the Bayou there, but we damn sure hear it happening. AMC, I am here for it, it sounded, friend. I'm. It sounded like the blowjob in the bushes from Joe Millionaire. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening? Is I am I hearing the the Joe Millionaire blowjob in the bushes?" I, I am. I believe. I on believe on show. TikTok. I believe on TikTok <laughs> they call that that gak gak nine thousand. I think is how they refer to that. <laughs> That's what the kids call it. Us oldies watch Joe That's Millionaire what the kids and are recognized it, it exactly. immediately. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, they're not. They're really not fucking around. And I'm here for it. Like, I don't mind. Give me a little soft core action. I'm a red blooded yeah, American woman. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I mean, again, like if you and, and and anyone who calls this out is like, oh, what a change. The, the vampires don't fuck it's in the books. Not. As we said before, look, they're man, so sensual they, in the book. They the do. Same. They're super sensual. But also like you, we just talked about Anne's writing, man. She was freaky deaky in all of her books. This shit is in there. It's it's text, not subtext. And I'm glad that yeah. they're doing it here in the series. It's not overdone. It's done as part of the storyline. Both the Jonah and the Antoinette thing, they were central to the plot line for this episode. And I think central to the ongoing development and, and uh, you know, building and breaking of Louis and Lestat's relationship, relationship, which is what this uh -huh. whole series is about. Yep. All right. That's so, exactly um, it. One other little thing there, Antoinette, by the way, uh, played here by Maura Grace Athra, Ath Athari. I, I wanted to call her out. I feel like I recognized her from something. I looked up her IMDb and I couldn't find it, so I don't know. Um, in the novel, she's got a part still to play. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I wonder if she's going to here as well. She's she's still alive, by the way, at the end of this. Like, Lestat right, dismisses right, her, right, right. but doesn't kill her. So I don't know. I don't know, but I would be, I would be, I wonder if Antoinette's not going to appear in a future episode. Let's just say that. Um, the other thing in this area that we, we haven't discussed is uh, when Daniel and Louie are having the converse, excuse me, the conversation about the, uh, the tapes, Louie says, now who's performing? Uh, and then like, you know, they throw away the thing on the trash can on the computer, excuse me. And then Louie uses the fire gift to light the trash yes. can on fire. Yes, he uh, does. Louis does not have the fire gift in the books. <laughs> not even no. Not even in like the most recent books. So hold that thought because some folks don't haven't read all the books. We're going to talk about that in the Easter egg section in a minute. I think I think maybe again that's a hint to some changes that are coming. Um, interesting stuff there. Um, what else? Oh, I love the line. Uh, and again, it makes it canonical that Lestat is bisexual. What, why do you imagine, or what do you imagine confines us to a single note? Why not a chord? Why not a cluster? Uh, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, they're real. I, yeah, it's just, 
such great just like I, lo I love that these characters are being allowed to be who they are it's just so nice that there's not like a muffler on them you know like like we're really allowing these characters to be as robust and as full of life even though they are not as you know as we've always imagined them to be so what did you think about the scene at the uh Duloc residence uh louis goes back to see grace and the twins he, he's missed the birthday party sadly because as mama Dulac says you're supposed to come around here during the daytime when people are awake yes yes well obviously there's a bit of a a problem there that he cannot um i we had to see this happen it feels like the only thing for me is that it feels like it kind of came out of nowhere i don't think we've seen and quite enough for my taste of this uh tension and this relationship building we just have the sense that he's not been there and it's the lack of him of his involvement that has pushed her to you know to deny him as her son i don't know it just seems it seems like too much too soon i know it's it's earned in some ways but it in some ways it's not i know that mama has her instincts about about how everything how everything he's doing is wrong in her eyes and what she thinks you know and so i just i feel like it just kind of escalated just a skosh too quickly but i know we have to go there and i know that that's what leads to everything that happens next you know with our our fire and and this is going to be our introduction and our lead in and claudia and so this is this is the right timing of it i just wish there was like one or two more scenes with the family in the last episode and maybe the beginning of this one yeah i feel like and see this is something i didn't think about on first viewing but i watched it the second time today and i felt the same way that that was it was a little bit rushed. It, you understand why. And again, none of this even happens in the books. His family's all gone effectively um, right. at the beginning. You know, Paul dies early and that's that's the end of his family's involvement. But the role, and we've discussed this too, in the books played by the Frenier family, here played by Grace and her husband, who is a Frenier. So they're sort of doing the same thing there, but tying it into Louis's mortal life directly, making his mom kind of the bad guy by by calling out the evil directly and and pissing off louis there as he comes into the house i i guess the only way they could have done it really in retrospect if you think about it is if they had involved the family some way in the launch of the azalea right like if when he opened his big fancy yeah. business if he had brought the family in and there had been a scene where mama dulac is turned away completely like her nose is rubbed in the sin that her son is selling you know maybe that's yeah. the moment where she's like you really are of the devil when she it, it, she's sort of hinted to that already in the last episode right. there's the reference to she's mad because he's clearly gay and that's pissing her off but like uh, yeah, I'm with you. I would have liked one more scene. Maybe that'll end up being on a in a deleted scene somewhere. They they just had to cut it for time. But um, on streaming, you can let these things live. So <laughs> right, absolutely, absolutely. Put it back in there. We're here. We're here for your uh, additional scenes that were cut. We are. We want them. Give them to us. <laughs> uh, so I really yeah. Like I know the, we have uh, to, and I feel like all this is leading into the burning of the azalea, which all mirrors the burning of the plantation you know in the in the book and so we're getting ourselves right back on track for anybody that was concerned the story wasn't going to kind of follow the same path that it does you know the one thing that that makes me question though what how are they going to do this what so in the book 
the the plantation workers, the the slaves largely, and the servants d- decide that Louis and Lestat are evil in some fashion. They don't have the word vampire, I don't think, but they know something's going on, and right. and dead bodies are piling up, and that they're responsible for it, et cetera, et cetera. And they end up forcing them out, um, you know, through a sequence of events, burn the plantation, and Louis and Lestat uh, escape to the Frenier house at first, and then to New Orleans. Well. <laughs> Now that they've been sort of forced out of their societal position a little bit through the events of this episode, where are they going to escape to? I mean, I, they're going to stay in New Orleans for these next right. events. I'm certain because we've seen you know parts of the trailer with Claudia in it. So anyway, I'm interested in how their lives are going to continue there since Louis has been. Well, I wonder if we'll have so public a part. If we'll have maybe a or if we'll have like a stage death. You know, and mm. then like that that kind of rebirth thing where you just, you know, and it's not like they can't live on Lestat's money. He's rich as hell, you know, and so it'd be inter- it'll be interesting to see how they but you're totally right. I mean, where where the hell were they supposed to go? New Orleans was where they went. But I can just kind of see them sort of turning more inward and it being much more focused on on um on, you know, it's kind of like the home life starting up. You know, you you got married, now you have a kid. You're about to have a kid. The kid's on the way. We all know, you know. And so, um, it's that kind of maybe turning inward into like into their own space, into their apartments, into their lives with each other and Claudia. Yes, yes, I uh, absolutely agree that that's where the the show is headed. It's I'm just I am captivated to see how they do it. Some performances in this were so fantastic. I love his his like his brothel manager. She is uh, amazing and hilarious <laughs> and brilliant. When they were like at that poker game, you let a woman count your money. What was her name? Brickhouse or was it just bricks? <laughs> I am not sure. I need to look that up. Um, but she's brilliant. I love that. I love that performance. That actress was brilliant. I love how she stood up for her girls. She, My girls keep oh, a the tiny line. house. No, I keep I I have pristine pussies walking my yes. floor. I take offense at that. I thought that was hilarious. The other line that I thought was so good, she says, "I've been called a cow, a cunny, and some oh, and the and the mouth who swallowed a thousand dicks." Yes. <laughs> and you yes. you want me to take offense because you called me woman? <laughs> a woman. <laughs> I love it. So she was brilliant. I loved her performance so much. Well, and I, I do say that plays at least a little bit to one of my complaints, you know, in the first episode was that we didn't get a lot of Lily. Lily didn't get a lot of agency or, or personality. Here's a good example. In a small dose, we get a little bit more personality, a little bit more agency from some of these surrounding characters, these workers. Well, it's fantastic you know, still, that he, he's given all his girls a, a, a percentage of ownership. So this is him working his way around these stupid ass laws they keep passing or these ordinances they keep passing to try to put him out of business. And he ends up just like doing better things for his workers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting again to see how he tries to connect with, with those folks that he sort of feels like he's responsible for now that they've shut down his businesses completely. Um, there's a moment uh, after the scene at the Dulacs when Louis returns, he's very upset after he's, you know, busted down the door on, on Grace and the kids, he goes back to the house and Lestat is entertaining the entire. <laughs> army oh my God. Front. Yes. 
<laughs> Sam, that's a, the whole scene is great. But when Sam is describing to Louie how these are all idiots and they would never stumble upon the coffins, Sam says all they want is a German on their bayonets. And the way he says it is like every dude bro ever in existence is so perfect. I love oh, it. Oh, it's I love so it. I love brilliant. It. I do too. He's uh, He is just delicious. I mean, every episode, he's just he's just more and more endearing himself into my heart as being brilliant. I'm going to have to watch this guy for the rest of his freaking career now because he's so great as Lestat. Oh, I put like four of his old movies into my queue already to go and watch in the next couple of weeks as I have like Sam withdrawals because there's not a new episode out yet. Um, what does he say to what does he say to Louis that he can now that I know your type, <laughs> basically <laughs> you could fuck him and I could kill him. <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. What you? I thought you could fuck him and I could kill him. I could eat them. Uh, yeah, I thought you would be excited now that I know your type. He the moment though. Because Louis hurts him there. He sort of lashes out at him. And so Lestat makes a show of shutting everyone down telepathically and sending them out. I thought that was, was so, so, awesome. so brilliant. So in the novels, mm. Lestat makes it very, very clear, especially in the story of Interview and in, in these early years with Louis. Louis had been clearly repulsed by his unnaturalness, by by the vampiric nature that he now had all those strange supernatural things that he could do preternatural things excuse me that he could do right. louis sort of hated himself for it and so because of that lestat hides so many of the things that he can do he downplays his own abilities to louis so as to not make him feel worse about that and here's an example yeah of something that he louis has no idea that he can do but here's an example where like Lestat does it out of pain, right? Like Louis has hurt him. And so Lestat hurts him back. Here's what you are. Here's what we can do. Fine, fine. I'll send the humans away. You're not one of them, right? I feel like that is, and I, again, I think that plays perfectly to how these characters are, the nature of these characters and the nature of this relationship. The only person who can hurt Lestat effectively is Louis. And he does it several times yeah. in this episode. The, I mean, the end of this episode, by the way, before he goes to 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 meet Claudia, he breaks up with, with Lestat. There's no other way to read that. That's why you and I aren't going to work. That's why you'll always be alone. Wow, that's I, such a cutting thing to say. That is so hateful. Right? That's like the, the most hurtful thing you could say to Lestat. That's why you'll always be alone. Oh. I mean, That's Lestat so mean. has already told him specifically, it's the one thing to dread as a vampire. The loneliness, oh. the decades tricked by with no one around you. And listen, this is all very true to the books too. Book, book Lestat wandered the world begging for Marius to show himself. You know? Yes. And I'm lonely. I know nothing about the world or my existence. I'm going to die, Marius. I'm just going to bury myself out here in the sand if you don't show up. I know you exist. Come and get me, please. And, and and that's like that's true. So the fact that, and we don't know exactly the path that he took. There's some extra years in there that we don't know um, for for this version of Lestat. But anyway, that the fact that he's you know bared himself in that way to Louis in the very recent past, and then Louis says that exact thing to him. I thought, boy, if Lestat grabs him and beats the hell out of him now, I could almost see why. <laughs> You're like, like this oh, maybe be, this that is would the scene the that was coming. <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. I thought for a moment that's how this was going to end. It's like, oh, 
he asked for that ass whooping actually is what happened he, he told, he told us that he was always <laughs> he told us that he was always going to be alone I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to go on Twitter and and uh excuse domestic abuse but I'm just saying <laughs> you know listen oh what did God. Chris Rock say <laughs> what did Chris Rock say there's 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 a reason to kick an old man down a flight of stairs you just don't do it right oh my god no i mean that's you definitely see that in this scene for sure um i before we get too far ahead of it and I, well, maybe we're not ahead of it and then i'm just not remembering the right order but i really am so happy that louis finally killed that asshole ah oh, fenwick in such a glorious and disgusting yes in such a just horrifying and he scared the shit out of that man before he killed him too and i loved it it was such a and lestat is like <laughs> it's such a lestat thing to do that he does you know and and it's so it but i was so happy for him you know i love a little revenge i can't help it and and that Incredibly really was quite satisfying. fulfilling mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely satisfying. Here's the here's the the thing there though. There was a great line in there when they're in the in Fenwick's office. Fenwick says to Louis, "You haven't accepted your place in this world." And strangely, it occurred to me that is exactly what Lestat is telling Louis throughout this episode. Yeah. They're saying different things, and yet the message is actually exactly the same to Louis. You know, Lestat believes, and it's strange too, because Louis calls it out early in the episode on the bench. He says, you know, we, they came from apes, we came from them, we should be better than them, speaking about right. humans. That's exactly Lestat's message. We are superior, we are above. Your concepts of morality are human still and misguided anyway based on what some god that doesn't exist as far as i know as far as you know as far as anyone knows how about you get on board with the fact that you're a killer and why don't we use it uh you know judiciously that's what lestat tries to do in the episode and i feel like that's effectively you know fenwick saying take your places and you're beneath me because you're black right but absolutely but they're they're both saying you don't know your place in this world and it occurs to me that's sort of isn't that the whole journey of Louis? Is that he doesn't know his place in this world? Sort of longs for it. I mean, that's the whole journey of this particular book. <laughs> you know, I think that this is too is like one step of Louis. One step Louis takes towards accepting what he is. Mm. This is one time. This is probably one of the first times so far in the series that we've seen him really um, be uh, violent with his with his uh kill you know and 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 to that he really plays with his food you know so to speak as as lestat is so want to do you know this is really the first time we see him be cruel to a victim well and i like that modern day louis calls out why he says in the narration you know i had ignored my thirst in all the hubbub that was going on i had ignored my thirst and let it take me over you know it's interesting though, because afterwards, <laughs> when he and Lestat are talking, Lestat praises him for his cruelty and his revenge, and like, yeah, it's not what I would good have counseled, but good job. And Louis like, well, you made me do this because you weren't paying attention to me, effectively. Like, you didn't rein me in. Blames it on <laughs> blames it on Lestat, which is so that's so book Louis. Like, book Louis effectively says everything I did wrong is because Lestat was stupid and very rude to me. You know, yes, like that interview with the vampire. Yeah, right, and right. also he manipulative. Was, yeah, which, by the way, that's like that's something you hear from like 
I'm, well, in particular, you hear it now about President Biden. It's like, yes, he's a doddering old fool, and also he's the Antichrist who is manipulating world events. <laughs> like, you can't have it both ways. Either he's right. got Alzheimer's or he's an evil genius. He, you can't be both. And yet Louis does that about Lestat all the time. He's like, he wasn't even literate, and yet also he was manipulating me secretively <laughs> because he knows humanity better than I do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. <laughs> It's, I thought that was nice that the, in that moment, that's like Louis comes out there and just does it straight to Lestat's face. And Lestat calls him out on it. He's like, oh, oh, you did this for your people? Did you? <laughs> D oh, did it help your people? How's that going, people? For you? How's yeah, that going like, out there? Like, look out the window. Out See? Yeah. And then everything, it immediately leads into like this crazy ass, you know, rioting in, this, rioting in Storyville. Obviously, the people who are being harmed are, are freaking poor black folks. And... Louis kind of runs into the fray sort of haphazardly and disorderedly and confusedly trying to quote unquote help. And there's nothing to be done to help. Nothing, nothing at all. It's, it reminded me of two things. First and foremost, it reminded me a lot of the, the bombing of black wall street scene from the Watchmen HBO series, oh, which was God, so yeah. excellent. But also um, it, it, it reminded me of something I think that is very much a debate in the books and sort of begins in this episode from Louis. Louis asks, have you ever thought that our kind was put on earth for a reason? And I think that's going to be sort of a search for Louis. I think it's definitely yeah. a search in the novels for the vampire population as a whole. What is the part that we have to play in human events? The greater we purpose. Have a part? Yeah. Right. And, and should, do we rule? Do we, you know, and it's interesting. This is, if you're a nerd, this is the kind of thing you've read you know, for 30 years or 40 years now, whatever, in, in the X-Men novel comics and stuff like this is that idea of like an, another race, uh, another uh, species sort of like overtaking humanity and whether that's the right thing to do or not. And are they oppressed or are they oppressors, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of those things are very um, rife for, exploration and i think this setting that we've had laid out and these characterizations that we've had begun to build and these creators have shown a willingness to dive into that stuff in a way that will matter and will be um, affecting in a way that good art should be affecting as well as exciting and entertaining while you're doing it because god knows we don't read these uh, vampire books because they aren't fun oh yeah for real i mean my god if this was just a, a a loveless slog i don't think any of us would be interested in it at all well i mean we could all go read philosophy books if we want to but we don't we read our philosophy and or at least we yeah. don't we don't again and I, again we read our I watch, philosophy I watch through the, the mouths of vampires yeah or i watch the good place and i do like the you know the reader's digest condensed version <laughs> <laughs> absolutely all right um i think anything else is going to get into a little bit of easter egg territory and maybe some some hints to what's coming so let's move into um that territory if you don't want Excellent. to be spoiled on anything upcoming if you haven't uh, read this novel before um go ahead and bow out now if you'd like to but we are going to talk a little bit about some speculation of where things might be going now we hope you enjoyed the episode as well as we did. Check out the show notes for links to our Facebook group if you're not already part of it and join the conversation there or tweet us on uh, on Twitter as well. All right, let's get into the Easter eggs. First and foremost, we already mentioned the the European sensibilities comment, but I, I think yes. that is, um, I think that's leaning in that direction. Here's the big one for me, and I mentioned this earlier, hints to the current situation. It was small, but there's a great moment Daniel and um, 
Louis are speaking. Louis is pouring drinks for the two of them and then turns to walk away from the table and says over his shoulder, you're lingering, Rashid. You're lingering, yeah. Rashid says, pardon me, Mr. Dulac, and disappears. Again, I say to you, Rashid does not work for Louis. I am convinced. He will do Louis's bidding without question because he's been ordered to. But Rashid but does not... Like he doesn't that's act not like Louis that's his employer. Yeah, that's not his would, employer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's totally, I think it's very clear going after this that like we're definitely dealing with, with probably an Armand situation. So that's still my, that's still my guess is that this is Armand's home. However, what I'm less sure of now than I was last episode, last episode, I said in our speculation that at this point in time, I believe Lestat is in the ground. I think Lestat is oh. sleeping. This is before his rock star phase. I, I'm not sure of that now. Here's why. Louis has the fire gift. Okay. Maybe that's just because. He's been cohabitating with Armand for a long time, it would seem, if this is Armand's house. Maybe they've been together since whatever, the 40s, the 1940s, when, when they go to Europe, whenever that happens. Uh, Armand has it in the books. His blood would absolutely be strong enough. He could have strengthened Louis over time. Um, or maybe, and this is my speculation, what if Lestat has already arisen and decided to wake Akasha? What if Lestat has even already woken Akasha, or at least drank from her again in the modern time, and has come to Louis and made his pitch for Louis to join in? Been like, come, well, come with me, my love. This well, is the I right mean, thing to do. That in, in that case, Louis would the, have the power too. Right, and that kind of lines up with what the showrunners sort of said in that behind-the-scenes thing, which is, you know, these books. This is an interview after these books, and he piles up the first five. And so that's something to think about too, you know, is this, you know, where this interview is falling in the timeline. And I'm sure we're going to get more information about it. The other thing is that that could easily be digs, Lestat's digs, you know, in, in this, in this new world we're living in, in this new kind of updated versions of these characters, but it just feels much more like. Or Marius's, right? This yeah. could be Marius's, this could be Marius's Marius compound. paintings hanging up. I think he probably I would. I think he did in times past. I think I think there's I, I think there's references. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing this, but I think there's references in the books. DM sort of being pissed off that the Talamasca have them in uh, the you know in the basements and stuff. They've got a bunch of works in the basement. Oh yeah, that is true. I do remember that now that you say that. And I mean, I know I think it's Lestat primarily that goes and steals a bunch of them out. But like, yeah, he does. anyway, you this could be like, for instance, if Akasha is already awake, but she hasn't really begun her reign of terror, so to speak, if maybe she's with Lestat sort of understanding the modern world right now, if that's going on, then this could be Marius's house. Armand, uh, uh, Louis is there with Marius and the two of them are literally trying to warn the world that that a goddess is about to come and try to destroy it. Like they don't know what her anyway, I'm saying now I'm thinking this might be pre-queen of the damned. I think this might be pre-queen of the damned and I'm so excited. I'm just uh, you know, however they however they line this the timeline out. I'm just I feel like we're going to get full versions of all these stories. Like we're going to get our wolf fight. We're going to get our crazy Akasha. Like we're going to get everything that we're supposed to get. I really feel like it. I'm, as long as, you know, the viewership holds out and they're making the money's coming in the way it's supposed to. I feel like we're going to every bit of the story we're going to get and it's going to be as good as we want it to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like 
Oh, it is so clear to me. Like, go and look at the merchandise again. Go look at the nice. Oh my god! Go There's look a at whole the fact... ass coffin, you guys. <laughs> there is a whole ass coffin. That's true. I'm like so close. I'm gonna get the hoodie. I think maybe for Christmas. I have already told my my wife I need the the coffin hoodie with interview with the vampire on the. It's like right under the neck on the back. It's beautiful. Um, the merch shop anyway. only open from seven p.m. to seven a.m. Whatever time you're, right? you're in. Isn't I that awesome? It's only love during. It. It's Night hilarious. Oh, I love it. Um, but but you look at that. You look at the the Mayfair Witches series and like the money that they've clearly poured into that. You look at the way that they are already building connections between these things. The Talamasca is going to be a big deal for them. I I think they've got spinoff ideas already for several of these properties. I I think. Yeah, this is in good hands, and I think they're going in interesting places. It is so fascinating for me to sort of, like, watch it unfold and uh, and, and see the little hints of where they're going to go and be able to, with a little bit of foreknowledge from the books, go, oh, well, that sounds like this or that sounds like this. It's like, you know, the, the comment, I think it was in episode two, about the brute from Madagascar sent us all diving. There's no mention of that, by the way. I have searched exhaustively in the last week. Madagascar <laughs> is not a thing no in the books. yeah. No one's ever, no one's been able to, no one's commented to, to in the group either. So, I mean, that, I feel like we've, we've, we've pretty much done the research we can do. So what is that tease about? Well, no, I think that's something new. That's what I'm saying. I think that's, I think that's building up to the things that are going to unfold in the series that as Roland Jones said in that behind the scenes uh, special you know, I want to surprise the book, the book readers too. I don't want this to just be a paint by numbers. Oh, and now they're doing this. Oh, and now they're doing that. And now they're doing this. I want there to be surprises as it unfolds. And so I'm here for that too. Honestly, I am just super excited and thankful for the way that this is going. And, and, um, again, week after week, they continue to surprise me. I cannot wait for the arrival next of week. Claudia next week. Oh uh, my it's going to be a girl. I'm it's going so to be a excited. huge shift to the series. And and again, it's one of those moments where, you know, these characters have, haven't been, um, you know, reimagined on screen for us in a whole generation now. And Claudia finally gets her appearance here. We'll be this excited again when Armand first appears or Marius oh, or yes. Akasha or all of these beautiful names. Mayel, somebody brought up the other day and I was like, God, I love Mayel. I can't wait until we... Oh. But folks... We're going to get to all of them. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited. Pandora is a favorite of mine. I'm really excited to finally see her actualized. And well, and not just actualized, but you imagine she's one that we're going to get some full story on too. And, and like, hell yes, we better. Yeah. How, how can you not get excited about that? All right. Um, anything else particularly as far as like uh, Easter eggs or little mentions that you noticed in this episode? I really didn't. I was, I was mostly, yeah. I think we hit all the ones that I that I saw. Awesome, awesome. All right, check the show notes for the link in particular to that um, YouTube discussion that I mentioned, and uh, join us on Facebook if you're not already there. And otherwise, tell us what you thought of the episode. Every episode, by the way, gets its own spoiler discussion thread, so we can have these sorts of discussions there, and it's a safe space. Nobody is going to uh, to be mad about it because if they're going to be spoiled, they won't read it. I promise. I, there's a warning at the top. What what could you say? Yeah. Um, folks, I want to say uh, on that note, by the way, thank you for helping us build such a fun little garden to play in and uh, and be geeked out and excited about this show and the coming accoutrement. Um, Ashley, I mentioned earlier, I'm about four hours away from finishing The Witching Hour. I know you just dove into it, so that's probably I just still... restarted. 
yeah, that's probably still a ways away. And it's cool because it looks like we're going to get, so this series will be done, I think, by the end, uh, by the first of November, like the first week of November or the second week of November, this first season. And then we're going to have all the way until January 5th before the Mayfair Witch uh, series drops. So we'll have a little bit of break in between. We'll get to the witching hour uh, in, within that break uh, as well. Absolutely. And um, we'll get to a discussion of that. But I... I I love all of these worlds that she's built and I am so excited that we're all getting to revisit them and that new people are discovering them. If you're new to the yeah. universe, welcome aboard. We're welcome, so glad welcome. to have you. It's such a fun place to hang out. You're going to have a good time. You're in for such a wild ass ride. It's a savage garden. Drink up. It is. Drink up y'all. <laughs> all right. Uh, until the next time we talk to you, go and watch episode four of season one of Interview with the Vampire from AMC and AMC+. Plus. Uh, until the next time we talk to you, we've been the Articulate Coven. We're your hosts. Ashley Wright-Eiler. I'm Joel Sharpton, and we are the Articulate Coven. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends.